Hello and welcome to The Podding Shed, the second edition of the podcast of the Chelseafcblog.com. If you're joining us again, thank you very much for tuning in the first time and thank you for all the feedback. It seems that we haven't um, offended anyone and uh, I'm sure if we would, we would apologise without four months to do it and um, being forced to release statements that we didn't really mean. But can I, can I apologise now for, for us not offending anybody? <laughs> um, joining me, um, we hope as ever... Um, in the podding shed are Grocer Jack, otherwise known as Tony, the uh, the muscle in midfield, as we like to call him. Um, <laughs> Donal, otherwise known as Blue Bayou, who provides the creativity, and Mark, who um, resides under the name of Mark 25 on the blog, and puts away chances um, like Fernando Torres wishes he could. Uh, <laughs> I'm flattered. We will, um, we will start off with the Everton game, which I didn't see. Um, I'm told I'm probably quite fortunate in that sense. Um, I'm going to bounce it over to the guys to, to talk about this. Um, the key thing that seems to have propped up on Twitter, the social networks, the websites, and the, and the blog itself is that um, other than the United game where we actually seem to give a decent account of ourselves, it, it sort of went back to games that have gone past that we assumed were probably reasonably easy Um but uh, proved to be anything otherwise, and whether that's due to the general team organisation, what the team that AVB puts out on the pitch, um, the options he has on the bench and how he uses them. Um, Tony, you said you, uh, you managed to catch a stream of this, which I'm sure was all entirely legal. Um, what did you think? It was awful, and it was about as far removed as you could have got from that sort of purple patch and that generally good performance against Manchester United. I think Mark has, has been on the blog and said yeah, this was just like everything that went before. It was passionless. It was incompetent, I think, at times. I don't think that's too strong a word. Um, we had players who didn't want to pass, couldn't run. Frank Lampard looked like he was running in treacle. Um, more was the pity. But uh, Ashley Cole seems to be in some sort of uh, physical and mental decline. Uh, there were... It, passionate displays, I suppose, from David Luiz, who seemed to get some unfair criticism on Match of the Day last night. I, th- I just think that uh, the old guard of, of Hansen and Shearer have generally got it in for him. Ivan Ivanovic, Branislav Ivanovic, um, seemed to be on constant fury yesterday, uh, um, but possibly because of what he was seeing around him and because he was also trying to do Jose Basingwa's job as well, by the looks of it. And um, I think it was just generally pretty poor. Torres didn't do anything remotely as good as he did last week. He didn't get any service. Um, and, and, and it was just poor. It seemed um, completely and utterly unmotivated. It was, it was just a lack of everything. It was as if you just said, go out and do everything possible that's bad for these fans. And, and they just carried out those orders to a, a T. It was awful. It's very hard to sit and watch it, even on a stream, let alone for the people who must have had to go there. And I gather there was some anti-AVB uh, chanting. I think I've, I've actually just put up on the blog a fairly lengthy comment, and I, I, I would say that the players have to stand up and be counted in this as well. They really do. And it was a shame. And, and we were talking about games we are going to look at. And, you know, I, I started, I'd probably go back to the Manchester United when we beat them 3-0 to win the title back in um, it was 05 or 06, or, or lose whichever year it was. And to see how majestically quickly that team moved and played and passed and whatever, and to see where we are now. We're a long way removed, aren't we? We are 
as, as far removed as possible from it. And 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 uh, it's a mystery to me. I, I think the manager has to take some of the can, obviously, but it does look to me like there is something you know seriously wrong with the blend of the team. I think there's just something not quite right with the blend. Maybe we've got factions in the dressing room. It certainly didn't look to me yesterday like there was much in the way of team spirit. And uh, it was shockingly bad. And we didn't deserve to win. I mean, we did have some good spells of possession. We had a couple of chances. But to me, it looks like it's... Uh, uh, it looks like, I think to quote Pink Floyd, the band are playing different tunes. Right. I think on that note, that's probably a good, good place to move it on. Um, Mark, I, I mean, that's some pretty strong strong words there from Tony. Um, in terms of how the manager motivates the team, this, this appears to be a problem at the moment, is, is that, that there's a group of players going out on the pitch that don't look like they have any belief. Um, I mean, how much do you put that down to the players themselves and how much do you put that down to the manager? This is this is the question that I keep asking myself and I don't be able to, seem to be able to come up with an answer. Well, I think it's a mix of the two, really. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure about this quote that players aren't playing with enough passion, they're not motivated. Um, I, I think they're just playing a, a, in a system that isn't getting anywhere. I mean, I think... Oops. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen a team take so many passes to get to the halfway line. And when we do finally get it to the halfway line, we, we tend to pass it back. So, you know, along the lines of the previous three or four games, apart from the Man United game, I knew the minute that Everton scored, we were going to lose because we don't create any opportunities. So there was absolutely no way that we were going to get back and score uh, one goal, let alone two goals to win it. So the people that I was with in the pub watching... Well, we all just sat back after 10 minutes, resigned to the fact that we were going to sit and watch another 80 minutes. Mm. Us, um, you know, slowly sliding to defeat. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what the noise is in the background. We are live. Um, <laughs> Donal, I'll, I'll throw this over to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. You dropped out there. I, I, I didn't well, quite catch that. Um, you, you mentioned you said you managed to catch some of the game. Um, yes. Your thoughts? I, I like I said, I didn't see it, so I'm um, I'm, I'm in your hands. What um, What did you think of it? Well, had I not um, spent the previous three hours uh, trailing around the Westfield shopping centre, and therefore had already had whatever soul I have sucked out of me <laughs> watching watching the second half of that. Uh, uh, finished me off you know mm. I, there was basically just a sort of skin lying on top of the seat there was nothing left um it was as tony says it was awful and i can understand why people would say uh, the players don't appear motivated appear passionless um i wonder is that because they don't they don't understand or believe in the system as uh, Mark says, the blend. There, there's so many different reasons it could be, but looking at it yesterday, we've had moments this season, Manchester City, Valencia, where the season has threatened to to light up and we've, we've thought we've got to the moment where we're pushing on. But I, I contrast it with last season where we had the dreadful run of one win in seven or eight games and then we sort of picked it up and they won seven or eight in ten games, something like that. 
And every time, like Manchester United last week, like the City game, the Valencia game, you think, ah, we've just hit that point where suddenly there's a bit of self-belief, a bit of confidence, we're picking up, we're going to push on. And it doesn't happen. And they, they... I, I was following it on text, and Stephen Pienaar, who's not been a, able to get anywhere near Tottenham's first team, is five minutes on the pitch and he scored against us. Mm. I know it's one of those things that often happens, but it just it, it spoke to me of, of how the day was going to go. And yeah. when I actually watched it, it, it was no different to, to, to what people were saying on, on, on text and things like that. It, it was... It, it was a team that looks completely out of sorts, and I don't, I don't pretend to know what the solution to that would be. Uh, yes, the players must take some responsibility. Yes, the manager. I, I think about the factors such as the factions that there could be, the way Anelka and Alex were shut out of the team. Maybe that upset some of the more seasoned pros who felt that they should have been treated differently. I don't know. No one has made any comment that I've seen in the last few months about whether or not this John Terry business had had any impact on that dressing room. Mm. I, I don't know. I can't believe that it wouldn't have had some sort of impact. Um, what type of impact, I wouldn't speculate. But certainly they, they, they're, not a, they're not a team anymore. They're, they're a, a group of disparate individuals. And uh, some of his team selections yesterday, which we'll probably get onto in a minute, mystified me as well. Mm. I think um, the thing that, that struck me about the games I've seen previously, which sound like they've um, this followed a pattern, is there's, there's maybe a group of players that, that are buying into AVB. There's probably a group of players that aren't. Um, there are a number that probably don't, aren't really that fussed either way in the sense that they may be out of contract at the end of the season or you know, almost certain to be moving on. Um, I think for me it, it's... Whilst I can, I'll happily criticise him for what he does wrong, I think he's in the middle of a, what I describe as a perfect storm in the sense that the sins of, of previous managers and, and previous regimes um, in terms of bringing youth players through are, are sort of coming back to haunt him now. Um, if you look at the league table now, um, Arsenal are ahead of us on goal difference. Um, I think it probably now comes down to, and we'll move on to AVB himself in a little while, but it probably now comes down to the fact, who would you back in a straight fight for fourth place, Arsene Wenger or Andre Villas-Boas? Um, and it's that question that chills me slightly because I know exactly where my money would be and it's not um, it's not on the man in charge at the moment. And I, I completely agree with that, um, John. I think that we, we, we've... Well, I'm not sure we've backed a loser. I, I've, I must admit, even my kind of previously sort of faith and, and the bright young thing has been rattled. I think Donald picked it up perfectly. The selections yesterday were bizarre. You, you had a, a back four that performed pretty admirably, admirably um, against Manchester United last week with Cahill and Louise looking like they, they sort of knew each other for a start. And with Cahill willing and, and, and able to take the, the kind of leadership bit between his teeth um, with a, a, a good display on the pitch and a, a nice interview afterwards, which sort of had flashes of that um, leadership quality, that captaincy quality. Ivanovic out on the right, where he patently likes to play probably more than he does centre-back. I'm not saying he's no good at centre-back, but I think he's just better at right-back. 
And um, Basingua, oddly enough, playing at left back and, and doing what he seems to do best, which is being played out of position and looking like a footballer. And mm-hmm. Romeo, not anywhere near it. And uh, Frank Lampard, back in. Was he back in because he was there on merit? I, I'm not sure. He, mm. he, you know, he said last week about Michael Essien sort of like breathing through his Kyber at the end of the game. And Frank looked like that after about 10 minutes yesterday. I mean, uh, sorry for butting in, Tony, but yeah. who would you... If, if Ramirez was fit, I know it's an if, but it would sort of give us a sense of where we think his mind is going. If Ramirez was fit yesterday, what do you think his midfield would have been? Say Maluda would have sat and Lampard and Essien and Ramirez would have played, do you think? I think it would have been um, Lampard who suffered mm. and Ramirez would have been in. And, and sadly, that means okay. that Kalu, uh, oh, Kalu, sorry, I'm actually looking forward to Kalu coming back. I think things have gone downhill so much. Uh, but Manu he's just, might have he's just been sub- subbed in the African Nations Cup final, if it's um, of any interest. <laughs> right. Um, I would. What I would say is that yes, I, I think it would be that, that you know there's there's a whole group of people in the Twitterverse and in the blogosphere that will continue to say he's Super Frank Lampard, whilst not recognising what I think is him entering the the kind of skulls gigs um, phase of his career where he can't keep up with the game as well as he could. He certainly can't play um, two or three games a week like he used to. Um, he doesn't seem to be willing to own up to that or admit that even to himself, which is a bit of a shame. I thought he was an intelligent player. I think he's maybe maybe it's something that will come in. He still and, scores goals though. That's you know that that he does still find his way into the box and get on the end of them, which is something that. Too few of the others. I mean, Maluda seems to have lost his knack for scoring. Yeah. Um, Mireles, who was always odds on to bang one in from 150 yards against us, doesn't do that anymore. This is, this is know, the point, so. and I think this is the point I was going to make, is, is that this isn't anti-Frank Lampard. It's just, I think, mm. maybe... No, no, I, no. I, sometimes I feel like I'm slightly isolated in, in recognising the fact that the, the guy is not the player he was. And, and as much as I'd like to sort of preserve him in aspect and have him playing for, for, forever, you know, in the way he used to, it's not going to happen. However, and I think this was the point, so about Ramirez and, and how much we've missed him, but Morellas has fallen off a cliff in yes, terms of yeah. form. And yes, well, the, fair, we talk about um, Ramirez, he was present during those previous games that mm-hmm. were completely turgid as well. So mm-hmm. um, he wasn't the solution in those games. No, no. So he, he didn't make any difference by not being there yesterday. No, I think the point I was trying to make, Mark, was not so much that... Had, had we had Ramirez yesterday, wouldn't have happened. It was more trying to get at what does AVB, what is he looking for in midfield? He seems to have dispensed with Romeo. He put Mikel on the bench. He's looking now at either Essien or Morelles or both sitting. Morelles, that doesn't appear to be his role, a role that suits him at all. He seems to be the sort of player who would be better in a freer role backed by a couple of strong tackling midfielders. Matter needs to play inside, I think. He ended up out on the left again. Sturridge is not happy out on the right, never gets a chance up the middle, despite the fact that Torres is not scoring. Sturridge was in a scoring streak and perhaps could have been put in the middle when that was happening and didn't. You know, it's, it's none of his decisions appear to... The only decision to me that's worked so far for him this season is ones that he's been forced into, as in when Bosingwa had to play left-back when he was forced to bring in Romeo when Mikel got injured. You know, any of the decisions that he's making for himself do not appear to be working. Uh, and, and that's why I was asking him what 
about what people thought the midfield should be because he certainly doesn't seem to be able to get the midfield working. I think that's a very good point, actually. Um, just if we go back to um, the heady days of Avram Grant's reign, as mm. much as everyone expected us to fail terribly when the African Nations Cup started because we lost so many players, it was actually when we, we started to look good. And I think it was more specifically because the choices were forced upon him mm. rather than him actually having you know a number of players to choose from. Um, I, it seems to me a little bit like V.S. Boas doesn't particularly know his best team and, and is maybe trying to tinker and look at you know, a little bit Benitez-esque in terms of, you know, changing the team every every game to combat a particular threat from another team rather than just playing your strongest side and um, and getting on with it. Um, that may be a bit simplistic, it may be entirely wrong, but that's the impression that I've got. Um, just to add it aside, um, in terms of our um, our goal-scoring woes, Drogba's just missed a penalty in Africa. And woefully <laughs> as well, it was woeful. Bodes, bodes well for... Um, that was Johnny Wilkinson-esque. <laughs> but, um, and I think this is. Um, I think if we had to maybe summarise our um, our issues, whilst there are many of them, um, the defence is simply not as tight as it used to be. Um, and th- the problem is that the other end, we simply cannot score. Um, we can't. We can't score enough. I mean, last week was obviously an exception. We simply can't score enough to um, to counter the deficiencies of the fact we're going to concede. But I think a lot of that, you can't just lay the blame at the attack. It is the pace of the whole team. And our build-up play from back to front is so slow mm. that by the time we're up the other end, the team that we're opposing have had time for a meeting, a discussion, a tactics board to work out where they should place people to counter our attack. Yeah, and, and, and yesterday, the most, disapp- the most dismal point of yesterday was with 20 minutes to go, we were 2-0 down to see Maluda warming up on the touchline to come on as our saviour. Yeah. And we know uh, what's going to happen when he comes on. Absolutely, Mark. I couldn't agree more with you there. I think, it, it, and this ponderous football, and I think we mentioned it many times, pretty much every review that was written through the course of last year and this year will be pointing to the same thing and saying, where we see, you know, when you see teams like Everton breaking against you and, and willing to push the ball up quickly, and, and then there we are, as you said, 23 passes, we get to the halfway line, and if we do get it anyway, the other team, like you said, they've had they've had a complete chance to sit back, work it all out, get all their players back. And we don't have the players with enough skill and, and, and pace, I don't think, in, in some cases, to go through professional Premier League defences that are already sit, sat there in place. A lot of those players, Tony, two years ago, part of that, that double winning side that moved the ball quickly mm. you know had had their struggles but moved that ball quickly and scored you know bagfuls of goals against all sorts of teams and all sorts of defenses and it you know it included Maluda included Lampard the Kalous the Drogba's all these people yeah. yes they're a couple of years old as I accept that but we're, we're not talking Giggsian and Skolsian mm. levels of ancientness here we're talking guys who are still in their early 30s um <coughs> I wonder about the conditioning of the team and I wonder about the, the the way that these players are viewing what their jobs are now and it it, it doesn't seem to stack up to me. I'm, I'm not laying it all at AVB's door. It's, it's as a whole group. Under AVB, they showed themselves capable of actually taking almost the management on themselves if we're to believe some of the stories. There was a strong group of senior players who basically 
picked the team up and carried it forward for a while. None of that is happening now. Yes, a lot of those players have moved on. The core is smaller. The players who've come in perhaps are maybe too much on, on the outside, I don't know. But the other thing about AVB is people say, well, he came to play a different style of football. The senior players don't want to play that style of football. I think good managers, pragmatists at the end of the, of the day, if he can't get this team playing in the sort of wonderful football that he envisions and he, his employer obviously wants played, at least for the moment, while things aren't working, he's got to sit down and say, right, these are the players I've got. How do they best mesh together? Mm. If, if I've got to be, if I'm going to play from the back out and tighten up my defence and nick a few 1-0 wins, well, that's what I'm going to go and do. But at the moment, we, we seem to be, the transitioning of the team is poor, moving from defence to attack, attack back to defence. People can wander through this team at will. And you contrast the team on our side yesterday and Everton the organisation, uh, the the level of commitment to to getting to the breakdown, to getting to the ball, to getting a tackle in, two three players getting around the ball very quickly, that sort of organisation has never ever showed itself this season that I've seen, and, and it worries me as to what is going on on the training pitch. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, in terms of what we're going to talk about next is it's going to be about Andre Villas-Boas himself, but I think we'll, we'll round up the Everton game um, before we carry on any more misery and soul-searching <laughs> about the um, general mess that it was, um, with a good, a bad and the ugly from each of you. So, Tony, if you want to kick us off with that. Um, are we doing one each? You can do all three. Okay, so good. You can um, all do all three. Good is really going to be quite difficult, but one matter, I think, um, who seems to be just one man trying to make everything click at the moment, and it isn't happening. Bad. Jose Basingua, just let's call it a day, um, let him go. Um, he is not a right back, not in a million years. And ugly, I just think that we've covered it off with the style of play, but if I'm going to allocate it to a single player, um, I think it's just the fact that you see Maluda warming up and think, oh dear. Noted. That's it. Over to you, Donald, your, your three. Um, the good, I think, is that um, uh, Andre Gershbosch managed to get down the stairwell and out the door before Ron got him in his sights. <laughs> And dropped him at exactly the same point that uh, dear Carlo went. Uh, do you, so you do wonder if there's kind of the you know the chalk outline of the <laughs> Italian somewhere on the steps of Goodison. <laughs> you know, not, nothing nothing against Everton Football Club, but you know it's an old stadium and there are some dark corners there, and you wonder <laughs> whether the cleaning staff ever get right into some of them. You know, from my memory of going up there, and so I did wonder whether there's still like a little pool of blood somewhere in the corner that you know no one really wants to clear up. And yes. You know, that sort of thing. So that was the good. The bad was just the, 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 there was a period in the second half where it was 1-0, we had the possession and you thought maybe sort of Norwich like, was it Norwich? Uh, sorry, Swansea like we might nick a goal. 
and get get a, a draw out of it. And then they scored the second, and the sort of flabby, collapsed nature of what went on after that was 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 quite shocking, I think, and and, and seemed to suggest that a bit like what I saw against Aston Villa that there there's a lack of centre to the team. And the ugly would have been the moment, and this isn't picking on him as an individual, it just summed the day up. We got a breakout going, uh, a ball was slid up the left just over the halfway line to Sturridge. He got into gear, had a, had a run on the Everton defence and fell over his feet before he got anywhere near the ball. Just seemed to slip. They suggested maybe the turf was freezing up or something. And that sort of was an ugly moment because... At least, had he got to the ball, he was getting away from the defence, and it just summed up, summed up the day. Thanks, and thank you, Dale. Um, and finally, Mark, your three for the um, good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I think I'll take them in reverse sequence so that we can end this section on a nice positive. <laughs> so, I love it. I love it, Mark. <laughs> Seamlessly done. I like it a lot. <laughs> Starting with the ugly, I think I just um, refer to our general speed of play, which is depressingly ugly. The bad is something I did mention on the blog this week, which no one else seems to be picking up on, and that's Czech's kicking. Oh, yes. And he did do one kick. I can't remember which half it was in. But he just played it straight to one of their attackers about 15 yards outside our box. (laughs) And and what I have noticed about Czech now is he, he can't kick a ball that's coming towards him. And having watched some other games this weekend, all the other keepers seem to manage it. And he is determined to play the ball short. Now, I don't know if that's his thinking or whether it's instructions from AVB and that we must build from the back just like Barcelona. But he is so desperate to pass a short ball that he's always putting defenders in trouble. So that's my bad for this week. And my good is that Liverpool and Newcastle both lost. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they are. Um, everyone seems to be sort of conspiring not to get fourth place, and um, how it unfolds in um, in, the, in the coming months is is anyone's guess. But um, thank you for that, gents. Um, if you agree, disagree, detest, like, or whatever, um, the panel's views on uh, the Everton game, then do leave some comments on the blog www.chelseafcblog.com. Um, we shall now move on to um, the elephant in the room, I suppose it were. Um, Andre Vias Boas, is he the problem or is he, is, is he the solution? Um, for me, I am genuinely torn on this man. Um, I can see roughly what he is trying to do, albeit that it's being put in place in a very ham-fisted way. Um, I've believed for a very long time that we simply can't keep firing managers at will just because we go on a little bit of a bad run. That said, we are now in fifth place. We are 17 points drift of the leaders. Um, It's a worse position than Carlo Ancelotti found himself in at this time last season. Um, He is now managing Paris Saint-Germain. We make of this what we will. Is he going to turn it round? Personally, I... I'm struggling to see where the impetus is coming from. We do have players coming back from injury, but we'll wait and see. Um, Mark, over to you. Yes, I I don't really know if he's the solution or the problem, but I I think whatever happens, we should stick with him. I think, on the one hand, he may be totally useless. We just don't know. Mm. But if he is totally useless, we should stick with him. Because we have an ageing team, and actually, people always talk about the spine of Chelsea, and they always refer to four players, and that's um, Czech, Terry, Lampard, and Drogba. 
Well, actually, three of those, Terry, Lampard and Czech, are all pre-Mourinho. They were in Ranieri's time. Mm. And they are, if not at their end, they're nearing their end. And it needs breaking up. And whoever is the manager who has to break those four up and get rid of them is going to take an awful lot of stick. So if AVB is useless, I'd say let him preside over the breakup of that spine and he can become the fall guy. And then after a year or two, we can move him on and bring in a fresh manager who's got a nice clean slate and doesn't have to deal with any of these ugly issues. So on that hand, I'd say stick with AVB even if he's useless. On the other hand, he might be very, very good and he just isn't showing it yet. He hasn't had a chance to shine. And what I'm fearful of is that if we got rid of him now and he is good, we do something in a lesser scale like a Brendan Rodgers who went to Reading and all of the Reading players were up in arms because Brendan wanted them to pass the ball. And they they didn't really like it. They they liked to lump it from back to front. And they gave up on him in the end and got rid of him. And off he went to Swansea, got them promoted, and now you know everybody's eulogising about the wonderful football that Swansea are playing in terms of passing a move a la Swansea <laughs> <laughs> And my, my great fear is that we will sack AVB. He'll go off somewhere else next year and win the Champions League. So in either respect, I'm happy just to sit back, take the pain for a year or two, and whatever happens, good or bad, it's going to work out for the best. Some good points, actually. I'm I'm intrigued by the the, the point, and you make a, a very good point about um, actually breaking up the spine of this team. In that the man who does it is never ever going to be particularly popular um, in telling Chelsea legends, as it were, um, that their their time is probably up and they should um, maybe take a little bit of a back seat. That said, um, we seem to be unable to win without a lot of them on board. But that's taking a very broad viewpoint on it um donald what um what's your view on the man um you a fan or are you not well there are two things i should declare before i go into this because obviously people are listening to this and wondering why they should listen to some old geezers pontificating about football it's important i think that people understand as a man ravaged by time and uh, dissolute living i still own a pair of football boots and have actually worn them as late as today. So I'm speaking to the world as someone who has football boots. I think it's important that, that the, the Twitterverse and the Poderati and so on understand that. So I am a, a football man in so much as I sometimes shod my feet in football boots. And secondly, I've, still got, I've still got a jockstrap, if that helps. <laughs> We've just, we've just upped the rating of this on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> and can, I, can I also say that I, I, I thought I'd lost the last pair of football boots I had 10 years ago, and I found a brand new pair of football boots in a, a locker thing under my bed. It's a bit like sort of going into Narnia from the wardrobe. And I wonder who placed those boots there. And I can only think that it's an act of God encouraging me to get on the podcast and, and spread the word as a, a footballing man so that I can sit here with my with my football boots. But I was a Carlo fan, as people probably know. I couldn't understand the... I could understand people's frustration last season, obviously, you know, coming off a double-winning 
team and, and we were expecting certain things to happen, etc., etc. I couldn't understand quite the vehemence uh, against him, although I think I perhaps can now, seeing how vehemently people are against AVB. Mm. I, think, I think we need a Venn diagram of who was against Carlo, who wanted AVB, who thought it was all the players, and, and link these things together and see whether the people who now want AVB out are the same people who wanted Carlo out, or different people, because it's very confusing. But I, I certainly don't think you can just sack another man now. <laughs> you know, I wanted Carlo to stay. I thought he deserved another year. This man is here now. He's the manager of Chelsea. I, I'm not sure about him at all. I haven't seen anything that leads me to think he stands in any way above a whole rank of other decent managers who understand football. Um, he doesn't stand out to me above some of the managers in the Premier League, not in the way he's approaching the game at the moment. I, I, don't, I don't see the miracle. People say, well, he, he needs to impose his own style. You know, he needs time to bring in his own players. Yes, I understand that, but that time wasn't given to Ancelotti. You know, a couple of windows have passed now. He's not playing the youngsters, and as we get further and further into a very tight race for fourth place, you can just see the screws coming on now. And, and you know, if, if he could have played the youngsters back in the autumn, he certainly can't play them now and take a risk. But the older players aren't doing it for him. Where does he go? It's exactly the same bind that Ancelotti was in and possibly every Chelsea manager going back up to Mourinho. You know, what, what is he going to do? I, I agree with Mark. They've got to stay with him. They've got to let him make the mistakes. They've got to let it fall apart. The only problem with that is when you look at their finances, hitting this FFP thing, getting, their, getting the wage bill down, getting things under control, but it's all still predicated on Champions League football. And, you know, if Hiddink is around, are they going to... This is a, this is a round Hiddink, Hiddink time, isn't it? You know, we, we, we've got a, an FA Cup to win. We've got problems with the dressing room, obviously. Less when around this time when they go to Scolari. Will they be tempted to do that again? Get Hiddink in temporarily? I don't know. It's worrying. It's, um, it, it's a concern in the sense that, as we will discuss briefly... Um, the, the managerial merry-go-round has started with um, Capello's removal from the England job, mm. um, and, it, and it potentially throws a, a fairly large cat amongst an awful lot of pigeons. Um, Tony, you were you were fighting the good fight for AVB on Twitter yesterday. Are you um, are you still of that mind, or have you had um, time to reflect and uh, another look at the performance and think that um, he's maybe not the man? Um, let me start with first of all, um, I'm. I haven't worn a pair of football boots for years and this <laughs> comes down to age and the fact that were I to play football, um, a few years of um, too much Guinness, Rioja and Cuban cigars would have me sounding like either the engine <laughs> as he climbed the hill. There's our railway reference, by the way. So we're within the strap line of the blog. Um, I will also say that... Um, I need to apologise, I need to apologise to Pete Watts, because I think I've just had a bit of a rant back at him on the um, blog, and to you, Donald, as Blue Bar. I was not a Carlo fan, and I thought that last year could be laid almost entirely at the feet of Carlo Ancelotti, his lack of inspirational and motivational skills. And 
the complete undermining of him by the board and the sacking of Ray Wilkins didn't help that particular cause. So in the end, I felt that Carlo was actually looking a bit like Uncle Avram on the sidelines and uh, clueless and uh, un- unable to do anything to change games. And now I look at AVB and I think maybe I'm just looking at a very much younger version of Carlo Ancelotti. I saw... I, 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 I have faith in him. He, he's a bright man. His success at Porto last year, I can't believe that happened in spite of him. You know, I, I think he must have played a key part in that. And um, this year, you know, you, you, whether he's a step up um, too far for him in the Premier League, I don't buy that either. I certainly don't buy this thing about age. I, I think that's a, a ridiculous statement. And, and in any industry... Um, the, the one I work in, in the mobile phone industry, uh, I report into virtually everybody who's younger than me who's made their, their mark because, for whatever reason, they have. And I have no objection to that. And I go in, and even if I don't like the people I work for, which I do, if any of them are listening to this, um, uh, I will go in and do a professional job. That's what I'm paid to do. I work mm. for that company. I work for that person. If we had fans, I'd be working for them. I don't think I'd be going in half hour thinking, do you know what, I'll pick up my money at the end of the day. Maybe I'm old-fashioned like that. I was flying the flag for AVB because I ultimately think another sacking, uh, another mid-season sacking would be crazy. I think because mm-hmm. Hiddink was, did a fantastic job when he came in before, he is not going to be the man to build the future of Chelsea. He's 65 mm. years old. I just don't think at that age he sure wants it. Mm. And I think Capello's in the same position. I really do. And I've, I've, I said it, I think, last week. You know, we, we, we're looking at, you know, you're looking at people like Benitez and that who are still uh, you know, available for work, etc. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. I, 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 I think it's a, a fantastic point that, you know, if AVB leaves and becomes Brendan Rodgers, but uh, on a greater scale, we'll be kicking ourselves. And I will go back to say I think Carlos did deserve another year. He deserved that chance. And I will apologise because I'm <laughs> fickle and I'm a complete hypocrite, which means I completely turn around what I said last year when I was actually paying for him to go. He deserved another year. Mm. And then we could have sat here if we were in the same position now and said, you know what, it isn't going to work. So mm. I think AVB deserves that one more year. And my worry is he's not learning from the mistakes. And uh, if the players aren't playing for him, he should be big enough to say, right, you're off. See you later. I'll, I'll, I'll play the youngsters and we'll, we'll take that chance. I'm not sure that we would be in any worse position now had we had the likes of Josh McEachern, Ryan Bertrand and a few of them coming through. I'm really not convinced mm. that we would be any worse than we are now. Is it better mm. to go out and blood young players and take a few risks, lose a few games? Or is it better to persevere with a bunch of pros who possibly are now in the um, dumb, fat, comfortable place where they're getting paid their money, they know they're coming up to the end of their careers. How do you motivate anybody who's in that sort of position? The answer is you probably can't. Mm. If we sack so, him, the message that goes out... I, just think, I sort of think that they... Sorry, I, I was going to say... Carlo can get sacked for footballing reasons. I think when you look at what's going on this year, the football's the same. Um mm. You know, there, there are other things that go on at that club. And that's why I think, you know, AVB will not get sacked um, for footballing reasons. It will be because he hasn't kept certain people happy. Because 
on one level you could say yes he isn't learning on another level you could say well these things take time and and no one gets given time at Chelsea and I think that's the big problem big 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 and problem it's a really good point we haven't gone forward he's guilty of not having taken us forward and guilty of not having improved upon last year and that mm. for me is partly because of the, the kind of perseverance with some players who let's face it you know we're, we're not talking uh, about people that, that would be surprised to hear us say the names Jose Basingua, Florent Maluda, mm. um, you know, possibly even at times Didier Drogba, um, who can turn up and be so superb, and at other times can flounce around the park, and in the first five minutes you know what you're going to get. Um, so ultimately, the message goes out: if we sack AVB, or if Roman gets the old, you know, the, the Kalishnikov ready for him or whatever, then the message is the players rule. And I think any manager is going to look at that and say, well, what's the point? If these players aren't going to play for him, who are they going to play for? And I can't see them playing for anybody. I really mm. can't at the moment. I've, I've actually just commented on the blog about this whole blend thing, the whole blend of the, the, the old core and the new, and maybe it just doesn't work. Maybe the blend is wrong and it just doesn't work. Mm. And therefore, there's yeah. a little bit more merit in the old maxim of out with the old, in with the new. Mm. Not... Yeah, I mean, one thing old. about um, blend, Tony, is you talk about the old and the new. But part of the problem is actually there's nothing in the middle. But, mm. um, Absolutely. And I think we did pick up on this last week. And actually, when you look at all of our signings, it's a bit like going to the supermarket and buying bags of fruit that say ripen at home. And, and we only buy people who are capable of going on loans. We bought a Belgian keeper who's gone off somewhere. Mm. We, we've bought the brown from... Um, Gent, Genk. Genk. A very nicely spoken lad from Nottingham who I saw on Chelsea TV last week with four A-levels. Yeah. Who's going off on loan. Football and Luke, four A-levels. I know, it's fantastic. Yeah. He went to a grammar school in Nottingham and um, we paid quite a few hundred thousand for him. And um, Luke Kaku. And the trouble is, none of them are ready to play. Mm. They're all ripe, ripe. We'd eat bread on the table and, and some of them actually never do ripen, like Kakuta. Mm. So we actually need to buy some stuff that is ready to eat. Yeah, I mean, Mata is the, the case in point, isn't it? You know, he's yeah. he was bought and he's performing, and they just aren't. There needs to be two or three more. You know, you'd say Cahill was one of them, but he didn't put him in yesterday. You know, it's it's. Uh, that, what gets me is is we're seeing exactly the same pattern. I think Ancelotti was frustrated by not having this mid-range set of players that he could, you know, start filtering into the team. Uh, AVB is in the same position. AVB doesn't have maybe everyone thought Ancelotti because of his background at Milan likes older players that's why he stuck with the older players AVB was coming in to, to, to start afresh and yet he seems to be going down this road of depending on the pros even when it's not meshing and that's what worries me what, what is it that's for, because it must be forcing him. I, I don't think by, by nature he would want to do that. And yet, I think everyone was shocked yesterday that he didn't leave Cahill in, that Romeo was, was off the bench with Mikel coming back. Surely yesterday was the day where he could have paid Bertrand back for not playing him against Manu. Um, the fact that he went up to Everton without a strong sitting midfielder on an away game made me... I, I just... I don't know. I don't know what's going on. We've got to stick with him. As you say, his record at Porto 
gave him something. But then you look at the guy who came to Spurs, who'd done really well at Seville. It's, it? it's the Wayne Bay Ramos syndrome, isn't it? Yeah. Was- you know, there are managers who do really well in a certain situation at a certain place, never replicate it. You know, that's, that's the worry as well. I don't know. Mm. And that goes with players as well, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, and and look at you know some of the players that are shining this year in the Premiership, and people are going, well, who knew? Mm. And yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it's an it's like a mystical art form, isn't it? Football yeah. it goes back to my earlier theory that I've, I've, I've sort of ploughed around the blog before that nobody really knows anything about football. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think chaos theory. Although I think those people who actually own football boots are always worth listening to a little more than those who don't. <laughs> and of course, and I, I, I doff my cap in the direction. <laughs> and not only are they just any of it, they're Mitre Santos. So they're, they're named after Brazilian, sort of, you know, it's that whole... So I'm, it's flair as well, flair yeah, and, and You're stuff. a salesman's just, dream, you we, are. You, you, <laughs> Donald, you are the flair man, as... as Normally, <laughs> podcast, so you know you're the man to, to bring it to us. More like Socrates drinking and smoking. I've given up the smoking, but I think um, that, that probably rounds off the OVB point. I, th- there seems to be a consensus in that we, we'd keep him for a variety of reasons, none of which really strike me as being the right ones, but. <laughs> they're the right ones for us at the moment. Um, if you agree with uh, the panel on what they've said about AVB or you vehemently disagree, then do leave a comment on the blog, www.chelseafcblog.com. Um, we will now move on to our, our final point, um, which is, do you remember? Um, I'll start this off by um, talking about the QPR game um, from last October and the seismic effect it's had on football um, and the consequences of it. Um, as a, as a direct result of that game, um, our captain will be in the dock in July. Um, he is no longer the England captain. England no longer have a manager. That potentially creates a very large possible managerial reshuffle. Um, I suspect that um, Spurs probably weren't too happy to see um, Fabio Capello being shifted out before uh, Euro 2012. Um, VS Boas is presumably looking over his shoulder because there's a very experienced um, club manager who's won an awful lot um, that's available for nothing. Um, So we'll talk about games that change Chelsea. Um, My pick for this um, is a fairly obvious one. It's the game against Liverpool in the league in 2002-2003, I think it was, final day of the season. Um, The winner took the Champions League place. Um, There isn't really a huge amount to say about it other than the fact that we won. Um, It was a Gronkel goal, a Desai goal and a Gronkel goal, I think. Um, Typically, Jesper Gronkel shooting from somewhere around about outside the box, falling over and it going in. Um, And it led to, well, the the most seismic change in Chelsea's history. Uh, We qualified for the Champions League. Um, A certain Roman Abramovich flew over London a couple of months later, or a month or so later, in his helicopter and said, I'd like that, please. And uh, and here we are now. Um, so that's my pick for the um, the game that changed Chelsea. I've actually um, comment on that as well, John, if, if you don't mind. I'll just chuck something in there. I think that was... Do please. That was the game, as I recall, and I think it's actually been documented in a memoir somewhere, where the half-time talk was given by Trevor Birch, who was the chief exec. I think it was Graeme Lasseau that may well have mentioned it, that he was in there at half-time and basically said, win this game or most of you will be out of a job next year and this club will be relegated. 
because that's the dire financial position they were in. They were utterly, utterly reliant on winning that and getting that Champions League revenue. And I think that's what, because that's what ultimately puts in the place where Roman um, was able, you know, we were able to lift our skirt and, and, you know, flash our, you know, suspenders to Roman and, and get him in. That's just, sorry, that's just my mind working away there a little bit. Um, but yeah, and Trevor Birch it was, I think, at the time, and he went in and basically gave it the, the players that half time talk. Um, to yeah. spur them on. Yeah. I don't know why I threw yeah. that in. I just thought it was quite. I, I didn't know that, and that's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think people have forgotten over time that the the parlous financial state that, that Chelsea were in at that time that that massive bond was was coming due. I think, yes. and that there was there was no way it could be paid. That's right. And, we would have been uh, Leeds. Yeah, and talking of Leeds, I don't know if you read the small snippet in the Guardian or the Observer or whatever it was that uh, Mr Bates yes, I did. having poured scorn on any suggestion that he was a tax exile uh, point, saying that he lived in Monaco purely because the rubbish got collected, uh, the streets were clean, there was no crime and it was warm and sunny, to which I would reply why aren't you living in Hackney um, he, he is forced now to miss two Leeds games um because he'd be over his 90 days. Yeah. So. No, but to be fair to Ken Bates, he is sending his dog to the game as his legal representative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clever animals, those dogs. Clever animals. Fantastic. That was a good one, though, John. I think it was a massive turning point. In, in the, it's, yeah, it's, it patently was. It's historically there, isn't it? A huge game. Um, we'll go back um, a, a wee bit further in time now to um, 1972. Mark, if you want to tell us about uh, the game you think changed Chelsea. Yes, I think changing Chelsea is an exaggeration, but I would say it's a key milestone along our history. And um, the game I've picked is the League Cup final defeat, unfortunately, against Stoke in 1972, where we lost 2-1. I think George Easton scored. He must have been older than Ryan Giggs when he was playing. Yes. But, um, you know, it was an interesting period in Chelsea's history. Um, I'd started supporting Chelsea in the early 60s. My first um, taste of close success was in 1967, going to the FA Cup final defeat against Spurs, when my dad insisted we left when we were losing 2-0. I could hear the distant, distant roar of the crowd as Bobby Tambling pulled one back to make it 2-1, but we lost anyway. But then um, in 1970, we won the FA Cup. In 71, we won the European Cup Winners' Cup. And in 72, we were back at Wembley again to play Stoke City. And um, by comparison with playing Leeds in the FA Cup and Real Madrid in the Cup Winners' Cup, they were a fairly lowly team. And actually, we all mm. thought it was going to be a mm. fairly automatic and easy, comfortable win. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way. We did lose. And that was sort of the beginning of the end of the great Chelsea team of that period. And a year later, Peter Osgood moved on to Southampton. And Alan Hudson moved on to Stoke City, in fact. Yeah, that's right. Was it Arsenal? I can't remember. Well, I don't know where it went first, but he definitely moved on. And, and that, that was the breakup. And, um, but it was a great period in Chelsea's history, from 67 getting to the cup final through to 72. Mm. were five glorious years by comparison you know, since the foundation of the club, apart from 1955 winning the league. And, and in some ways, there's sort of parallels, I guess, with today. It does, but, yes. Uh, I say, do, you know, do, we have a, do we have our success in, um, in, in five-year spells punctuated by, well, 
very long periods of, um, of misery. It could be. And Tony, you, um, that, I think that's probably round about the time you um, started yeah. taking an interest in Chelsea. Do you remember anything about the game? It was, absolutely. Um, and, and my documented it well the, the fact that it was the 1970 FA Cup that did it it was a choice of Leeds or Chelsea uh, despite living in Hayes the, the Middlesex Hayes um, you know a lot of my friends at school wanted Leeds to win and it was very much of the, the, the child mindset that the name Leeds had connotations of leaders and this sort of stuff and, and being champions and my dad put me straight on that and said you support the local team which happened to be Chelsea and within days, I had the walls of my bedroom covered in pictures of Tamblyn Osgood. And my overriding hero was Benetti. Because uh, despite only being a short arse, um, I had massive pretensions at being a goalkeeper. And um, uh, those, those were the days. And it was, they were fantastic times. And I think the 72 was the kind of, that was the, the, when the bubble burst. Because I think the stand was either being built or had been built, the, the East Stand. And... and we were suddenly in this spiral of crippling debt and team breaking up and, and, and 25 years in the wilderness until Rude Hullet took us to the um, uh, the cup final to win. I know uh, we'd been there a couple of years before when we lost 4-0 to Manchester United in, in what was an absolute, you know, it was never a 4-0 game and, and I think a crossbar really was what saved Man <coughs> United. And David Enray, obviously. But, um, yeah, my son yeah. will not be sent to Harrow on the basis of that game, I can tell you that now. <laughs> <laughs> His name... Day he was born, down for Eden. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that was about the time. And, you know, it, it's been with me ever since. And it's, it, it's strange because I have very fond memories of that, that team. The, there was a swagger about that, that whole team. They were the, the, the sort of opposite of Leeds. I, I always remember that. Actually, Leeds went to the cup final a few years later. It might have been even a year after or two years after when they played Sunderland and you had Don Revy's leads in their blazers, crispy, all done up. And you had to the Sunderland Hotel, this bunch of long-haired people who had patently been on the booze the night before. And I just had that impression with Chelsea that that's how we were and we were the underdogs and that was it. But uh, yeah, good days. My game, if, am I on my game a bit now, John? Do you carry on? Yeah, you tell uh, yeah I mean, I think... For me, the a bit one more up to date, but uh, do do carry it, it, on. It didn't change. It didn't change Chelsea. I think it kind of it, it finally rubber stamped us as a force in football, and it was the game where we won three 0 against Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. Um, I think we won the Premiership at that game. I think the the win guaranteed it that day. Yes, and we had goals from uh, uh, William Gallus. I think started off the scoring that day. Um, a, a piece of utter Zola-esque mastery from Joe Cole for the second um, spinning, leaving the Manchester United defence looking much like our one does now at the moment, rather flat-footed <laughs> and um, uh, uh, yeah, oh the irony and, um, uh, and then finally uh, an absolute wonder goal from Ricardo Carvalho um, Gilbert O'Sullivan as I used to call him at the time because of the striking resemblance he had to uh, the erstwhile 70s Singer, and he, he he started the move and finished it. And it was just, I was there at the bridge that day. The, the atmosphere was tremendous. Mm. There was, a, a, I think it was the game where even about three minutes to go, Mourinho went over and shook everybody on the Manchester United bench's hand, you know. <laughs> yes, he, he sent several journalists into 
fits of apoplectic rage about how rude and uncouth it was and so forth. But, yes. Uh, yeah, yes. And, and now, I do have to wonder whether or not he'd be forced to issue an apology in, in the current <laughs> state of things for... Uh, for you know, offending people by actually going and shaking their hands as opposed to, <laughs> to not shaking their hands. Um, you can't be right for doing wrong. But yeah, um, but for me, that game that was that was the bit where nobody could say um, it was a fluke. That nobody could say it was a one-off. We weren't Blackburn. We weren't a blip in the duopoly of Arsenal and Manchester United. That one game said everything. And I think, was it the following year that Mourinho got the sack? I think it was, wasn't it? Year yeah. three, or he departed. Uh, well, and I, yeah, beginning of the fourth yeah, season. Yeah, but, the seeds know, were sown. Well, I look back on that. Yes, things had got a bit more dour since then, and, and everything had got a bit dark. But they were fantastic days. And that particular day will live long in my memory as the one where we finally could puff our chests out, where we'd been the seven stone weaklings against the likes of Arsenal and United previously. We'd gone out and bought the ball worker, the Charles Atlas ball worker, come back and were absolutely ready to do everybody. Great days. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think you'll find any disagreement from a Chelsea fan anywhere. Um, we'll finish off with you, Donald. Um, again, probably not memorable. Well, it was memorable, but um, it maybe didn't change Chelsea. But in terms of what it did for the mindset, I think you hit on a, a very good point. So if you'd like to tell us about it. Um, yes, uh, my, my game was the, the, uh, the Champions League uh, second leg quarter final game at Highbury under Ranieri uh, when Wayne Bridge um, netted close to the end of the game uh, to put us through. Now, obviously, a lot of those memories are soured by what happened with Monaco, etc., etc., but I still go back to that night as, as believing that in terms of a lot of those players that team and what carried on under Mourinho was the self-belief. You know, Arsenal had been one. We, we, even in under Hoddle and, and those sort of years where we'd been starting to get better and better, we'd had a decent record at places like Old Trafford. You know, we even went up to Anfield the odd time and won a game. Highbury, the Arsenal, all the time. Remember Carnu, you know, in the mud and all those sorts of games. They seemed to have had their, their foot on our necks and we were never getting out from under it. And yes, people will talk about the League Cup game when Viali took over, when we, we knocked them out of the League Cup, but that was they, that wasn't a full Arsenal side, etc. Et unknowns in their squad then. Yeah. But th this was like the full-on, this was the Champions League, this was, you know, mano in mano, as they say, and uh, we, we won. And I think, for me, having particularly, as I said in the last podcast, gone to school in Islington, grown up surrounded by Arsenal fans, the double, the, the great years, the, uh, the almost invincibility that they seemed to exude even when they weren't doing that well, to beat them in such a key game. It wasn't just a league game. It wasn't just an FA Cup game. It was a Champions League quarterfinal. And I think, I think that infused the club with a, a belief that they could actually then move on somewhere. Yes, the Monaco thing, you can pin it on Ranieri, whatever you like, but they knew that in terms of clubs like Arsenal, they and from then on, we, we've had a very good record against Arsenal. I think it shook Arsenal as much as it pushed us on in some ways, I'd like to think. I think there's always been a talk about um, whether Wenger's invincible side had the, the mental stamina that... Um, mm. 
that they really needed to um, to, to be the absolute best. I mean, a tremendous achievement of what they did when they went and uh, won the league unbeaten. But th- there was always a feeling that there was a bit of a soft underbelly that if you booted it in the right place, which I think mm. we did that night, that, um, that yeah. you get somewhere against them. Um, mm. Anyone else have any views on that game? Memories of, um, of that? Yeah, wasn't the goal at the death as well? Wouldn't that make, didn't it make it sort of all the sweet? It was the fact that Arsenal yes. really barely had any chance to hit back. So it was that... Mm. You know, you, you, it's like a great boxing match in the fact that you've actually just decked this bloke and he's not going to get up again. And I think there's always a, a kind of sweetness to that if you're on the side that's just done that. It was know, also had, the number had, of goals, I think, with, with the away goals. It meant that um, yes. Arsenal had to score two from that point. So yeah. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think the scores were level or something. Yeah. Whatever. But it was, um, it was, there wasn't long to go and they had to score two. So we knew at that point, as soon as it slid in, that we were going to win. So we could enjoy the rest of the game, which is yeah. a rarity. Yeah, that's mm. no, very true. Um, I think a fascinating discussion that I think um, there's probably any number of other games that, that people may pick about um, history that um, has either changed us for the, for the better or for worse. Um, if you've got one, leave a comment on the blog www.chelseafcblog.com. Um, I think, gents, it's probably a good point to round it off there for the night. Um, yeah. Thank you all for partaking again um we will be back probably next week with the following wind and um, hopefully talking about more positive things than the uh, vs Boas's um whether he's going to stay or not and uh, maybe even a victory um i believe we got birmingham in the cup next uh, next weekend and then out to uh, out to napoli for the champions league um, both tough games in their own right um we will be talking about what happens next week gents thank you very much and good night thank you good, good night, night.